And if we had a title of the message, we would uh, be able to call it Tradition. And so as we get into this, we'll just see uh, what it's like and what it's about. We have no notes to go with, uh, so we're just going to read through and I'll comment and uh, we'll call it a service. We'll call it a day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Father, that you have given us these instructions, that you have uh, allowed us, Lord, just to see through the examples of individuals that you came in contact with, Lord, uh, whether it's the example of individuals who have great needs and your desire, Lord, is to meet those needs, or whether it's individuals, Lord, who need uh, just their faith stretched. Uh, we thank you for that as well. And Father, as well, we, we thank you that uh, there are individuals that are negative examples within the scriptures that we can learn from and steer clear of, Lord. And so I just pray that as we go through this chapter, that you would speak to us, Lord, speak to us through your word. And uh, we just thank you so much, Father, for this opportunity. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what your spirit says to the church this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. So I said Mark chapter 7. But if I were to give you an introduction, I would take you to Matthew chapter 23. So if you want to hold your place and follow me, or just let me read you a couple verses in Matthew's gospel. Matthew is writing specifically to the Jews, and he is presenting Jesus Christ as the Christ, as the anointed one, the Messiah, to the Jews. And so Matthew's um, approach and take on the scriptures is very different than Mark's. Mark, on the other hand, is writing to the Romans. And these are Gentiles, non-Jews. They don't have a religious background. They don't have a foundation of understanding the scriptures. And so we're going to see the contrast of that, and we're going to see how Mark does that. But in Matthew's gospel, chapter 23, Jesus shares his most indicting words that would come out of his mouth, his harshest words, would be spoken in Matthew 23. And they're spoken to a group of religious leaders, individuals who were supposed to lead people and guide people to the truth and to Christ. And they weren't doing that. They had wholly huddled and they had kept this truth to themselves and they looked down their noses upon the common people, uh, upon the sinner, the individual that was outright not doing what they were supposed to do. But... That's not what God had intended for them. God had intended that they would be the light of the world and that they would represent God to these people so that they can come out of that darkness. And so Jesus, in Matthew 23, he just gives these woes, these judgments to the scribes and to the Pharisees, and he calls them hypocrites, mask wearers. They would, on the outside, look like one thing, but inside, the the part that counted... Um, They were far from God. They were anything but close to God. And so at the end of this chapter, Matthew chapter 23, notice with me verses 37 to the end, through verses 39 in Matthew 23, Jesus cries out, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings But you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
And that would be speaking of the end of the age when it's all said and done in the tribulation period, the nation of Israel is finally going to be shaken up and woken up and their eyes are going to be open to the fact that they crucified their Messiah. They crucified the Christ. And so that as an introduction, we're looking at Mark's Gospel, chapter 7, and we're looking at tradition. And tradition can be a good word or a bad word, depending, I guess, on where you come from. All of us have traditions. We, we do things a, a certain way. When we think of religious traditions, um, there's some good ones and there's some ugly ones. There's some bad ones, right? And so for us as believers, as Christians, it's important not only to know what we believe, but I think it's just as important to know why we believe what we believe. We end up doing things. We end up doing things out of habit, out of ritual, out of tradition. And, and, and sometimes we don't even know, like, why do we do that? We gather together on Sunday uh, for a specific reason. The early church met on Sunday. It's the day of the resurrection. Jesus rose on Sunday, the first day of the week. And so because of that, we, we do the same. We meet on Sunday and we come into this place and we study the word of God. We, we sit at the feet of the Lord, if you will, as his word is going out. Why do we do that? Because in Romans chapter 10, the Bible declares that faith comes by hearing and that by the word of God. And so we are individuals of faith as we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, in the finished work on the cross. And so because of that, we want our faith to grow and develop. We are children of God. He is our heavenly father. We are his sons and his daughters. And so as we sit under the word of God, we sit for the purpose to have our faith grow and develop. And then we look to practice it in the world. And so those are good traditions. Those are good rituals that we go to church. There are individuals who don't go to church, individuals who say that they don't need to go to church. Church is God's idea. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And so Jesus is the one that came up with the idea of church. And so I think it's a good idea. We tamper with it or we mess with it to our detriment. And so it's very important that we just take God at his word. We say, okay, we're going to go to church. We're going to be a part of a community. We're going to take the gifts that God has given us and we're going to bless or edify or build up the body of Christ with those very gifts that he's given us. And those are some of the reasons why we do what we do, especially as it relates to going to church. So Mark chapter seven, we have the religious leaders are going to come and they're going to criticize to Jesus, his disciples. As far as they're concerned, they have an understanding. They have um, a misunderstanding of what things were supposed to mean, and yet they have the audacity to come to Jesus and pick on, if you will, his, fair, his, his uh, followers. So let's look at it. Mark chapter 7, starting at verse 1. Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. Now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. So these religious leaders see Jesus' disciples and they recognize that 
They're not eating with dirty hands. They're not eating with grubby hands. They're not eating with hands that are all gunky and funky. That's not what's taking place here. For the most part, they have clean hands. It's undefiled hands is what the religious leaders are taking note of. And because of that, they find fault. If you were to study the traditions of the Mishnah and the Talmud and these Jewish books that basically took the 613 laws of the Old Testament and expounded volumes and volumes of how they were supposed to fulfill these laws, you would see that it's just minutiae. It's just overwhelming do's and don'ts and man's understanding of how to uh, obey these laws that God had set out. And the one on washing hands is an interesting one. They would take an egg and fill it with water. So imagine the shell of an egg, if you will. And so you would have to hold your hands this way, and somebody else would then pour that water, and then you would be able to undefile your hands. And then you'd hold them this way, and they'd take another eggshell full of water, and then it would flow down this way, and so now it's relieving and... So these were ways that they understood was pleasing God. This is how God will be pleased with me. These exterior outward signs of, I guess, obedience to what God was calling me to. And so this is what the Pharisees and the scribes are observing. Hey, your your disciples aren't getting eggshell fulls of water and and doing the ritual cleaning. Verse 3 goes on. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things that they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? And so Jesus is listening, he's watching, he's observing, and he's going to school these guys right now as he begins to speak. But these guys think they're accomplishing something through an outward act. They they think that they're pleasing God through this ceremonial process that they have. Mark's gospel, again, was written to the Romans, so non-religious Jews. And so what Mark does is he breaks down some of these rituals, some of these traditions, far greater than any of the other gospel writers because he's writing to non-religious people who don't have this background of understanding the law. Verse 6 goes on, He answered and said to them, Jesus speaking now, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. He said to them, all too well you reject the commandments of God that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. 
But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is Corban, that is, a gift to God, then you no longer let them do anything for his father or mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. And so Jesus takes, through observation as he's watching, you guys think you're close to me because you're doing this outward stuff? You guys think that you're close to God because you've got the outside, the appearance of things all taken care of? And he's letting them know you're hypocrites. It's the heart that God is concerned with. It's the inside that God is concerned with. And the inside should affect the outside. But don't think that you're changed from the outside in. You're changed from the inside out. And so God wants to first get a hold of our hearts. And as he gets a hold of our hearts then the outward things and appearances will flow and follow. But they were far from God on the inside and thinking that through these rituals and these things that they did, they could be close to God. So in this case, they had this thing called Corbin, dedicated or surrendered to God. And so if I had a car and I would say, that car's Corbin, My car is Corbin. And then my mom came and said, hey, can I borrow your car? Nope, dedicated to God. Can't let you have it because it belongs to God. And so through these rituals, what they did was instead of getting closer to God, they were getting further away from God to be able to spend and use these things on their self and their selfish motives. I don't know how your family works, but we have family members who we say, hey, uh, can can I borrow the car or, or can I get a ride? And they'll come out with, well, well, no, I don't, I don't have any gas. And I'm thinking, you ever going to put gas in the car? I mean, because at some point, every time I ask, you don't have any gas. So I'm thinking, at some point, you've got to put gas in the car to be able to let it work, to go wherever you need to go. But it's, it's that kind of thing. Well, I don't want to lend my stuff to you. I don't want you to benefit from the stuff that I have. It's mine. I'm hoarding it, and I want to use it for me, and I don't want to encourage, bless, minister to anybody with my stuff. It's my stuff. And I think that's what was taking place. This was a way that they can get around, if you will, the clear commandment to honor your mother and father by saying something was dedicated to God, Corbin. And that's exactly what they were doing. Notice Jesus goes on to say in verse 14, when he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, hear me, everyone, and understand. There is nothing that enters a man from the outside which can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he had entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. Very important that we understand Jesus isn't saying that we can consume anything and there is no sin in whatever we consume or goes into our mouth. That's not what he's saying and he's going to clarify exactly what he means by that. Well, then I could just smoke weed, right? I could smoke weed because it's entering my mouth and that doesn't defile me. I can snort lines of cocaine, right? I can get drunk. I can, I can do all of these things because it doesn't defile me. The context is food and unwashed hands, ceremonially unwashed hands. In the Bible, there are clear commandments of things that are sinful that we ingest or partake of. That's not the context of what's being said. 
And some people have taken this section of scripture and says, yep, Jesus said it right there. It's not so much what it comes in a man, what he takes in through his mouth. No, the context is food and unwashed hands. And he's saying, that doesn't defile you. It's what comes out because that's what's in your heart. He goes on in verse 18. So he said to them, are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from the outside cannot defile him? Because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. And he said, what comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. And so again, I think it was three weeks ago, we had a a, a study in the Gospel of Mark, and I entitled it, The Issue of the Heart is Always the Heart of the Issue. The heart of the issue is always the issue of the heart. And I think that's what Jesus is referring to here. It's not the food that we're taking and the food that we're ingesting. In fact, in Thessalonians, the Bible says, whatever food is received with prayer sanctifies it or sets it apart. As we give thanks and we say, God, thank you for this meal and may you bless it, bless it to our bodies, nourish and strengthen us in the midst of that. Out of the abundance of the heart, the Bible declares that the mouth speaks. And so Jesus is once again coming to the heart of the issue. Remember when we went through in Mark chapter 4 or 5, the parable of the sower, it's repeated for us in... um, It's chapter 4, Mark 4, but it's repeated for us in Matthew chapter 13. In Matthew 13, Jesus gives the reason why he spoke in parables. And the reason he spoke in parables was twofold. Those who wanted to hear would receive the lessons that he was teaching in a parable. Those who didn't want to hear, the parable would mask or uh, cloud the truth. And it was an act of mercy on Jesus' part to speak in parables because then people weren't condemned By hearing truth and not responding to it. Those who didn't want to hear, then parables would come and they wouldn't understand them. Those who did want to hear, parables would come and they would take it in and they would be able to grow. And so I think it's the same thing is taking place here. Jesus is saying, guys, it comes back once again to your heart. And so we make sacrifices for God. We do things that we call sacrifices or consider to be sacrifices. And we think that God is pleased with those things. The Bible says in the Old Testament that the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. God, these things you will not despise. And so you look at religions around the world and the things that people will do in the name of religions and the sacrifices that they will make. And they think that God is pleased with those things and God is saying, I just want your heart. Bottom line, when it all said and done, I, I just want your heart. I want you to walk and talk with me. I want to have a relationship with you. And I just want your heart and I want to change it. And I love the idea that God will not change your mind, but he will change your heart. You cannot change your heart, but you can change your mind. And the point, the point where you say, I, you know, I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to change my mind and I'm going to ask God to change my heart. In those moments, God will change your heart. He will not force himself upon you. And so... Think about, again, the things that you do, the traditions that you have, the rituals that you do, and, and hopefully you can identify that you know why you do what you do. Why do you pray? 
Why do you seek God? Why do you look to God? Why do you want His direction, His guidance? Because He has a good will. He has a good plan for your life and all of those things. Moving on now, we see Jesus expanding the faith of a non-Jewish person. Starting at verse 24, he says, From there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, Let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and to throw it to the little dogs. Now, at first reading, this seems rude. It seems like Jesus is being indifferent to this lady. Ultimately, what's taking place is, here is he's expanding her faith. He knows what she's going to do. She, he knows how she's going to respond. And I don't know about you, but if you have a desperate need from God, do you ask him once, petition him once, and then nothing happens and you just walk away and never seek him again? The Lord would have us to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. And he, he develops this relationship with us by allowing that to take place. And in the midst of it, what's happening is our faith is being expanded. And that is the language of eternity, faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, Hebrews eleven six says. And so God wants to expand your faith. He wants to expand my faith as his child. And so we shouldn't come to God and just... Lord, I need this or I want that and I didn't give it, so I'm, I'm done, I'm out. No, keep seeking, keep asking, keep knocking. It goes on now, verse 27, but Jesus said to her, I'm, I'm sorry, verse 28, and she answered and said to him, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, for this saying, go your way, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. I opened up with Matthew chapter 23 and those last verses in that chapter. And Jesus is standing and he's overlooking Jerusalem and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And, and he's, he's weeping. He's, his heart is broken. And he's saying, how often I wanted to take you and just bring you into the safety under my wing as a hen would gather her chicks in that protective place, but you were not willing, but you wouldn't let me. And you see this non-Jewish woman show this incredible faith where Jesus comes and says, little dogs aren't worthy of the bread. Yes, but even the little dogs can come under the table and eat the crumbs. Lord, I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere until you give me what I need. My daughter is demon-possessed, and I am desperate for you to do something about it. And that is us as well. As we grow up and grow older in the things of God and in the Lord, the, the Lord is saying, hey, it's time to put childish things away. It's time for you to grow up. I remember I was at a point in my walk with the Lord. It was probably about 10, 12 years ago. And I was uh, sitting, in, and the Lord was just giving me these incredible things, signs and wonders. And I would say, Lord, Man, what are you going to do here and, and do this great thing, this marvelous thing, Lord? And the Lord would answer it and just show me this sign and show me this wonder. And I'd be like, wow, that's incredible, Lord. Only you can do miracles. You are awesome. 
And there was a point where I remember I was at church and I prayed, Lord, are you going to give me a sign? Lord, are you going to give me a wonder? And he whispered in my ear and he said, you know, Johnny, I can. I've been faithful to do that. You ask and I, I do that for you, don't I? But at what point are you going to trust me? At what point are you going to take me at my word? At what point are you going to begin to walk by faith, not needing signs and wonders for everything that you're asking for? At what point are you just simply going to sit at my feet and trust that I've got your life? And I remember that was just a growing up day in my life in the Lord. It was a time where I just needed to go to the word. And if God said it, then I had to take him at his word. I had to let him speak and be true. And by faith say, Lord, your word says it. I'm going to take that in. The last section in this chapter, starting at verse 31, it says again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the mist of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. Then they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they begged him to put his hand on him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears and he spat on the, and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Epaphatha, that is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened and the impediment of his tongue was loosed and he spoke plainly. Then he commanded them that they should tell no one, but the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He does all things well, who makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. And I love just the way the chapter breaks down. You have at the beginning this group of religious leaders that are looking at the disciples of Jesus, and, and they're, they're, I don't know, criticizing them. They have words against them to speak. And... Um, it says they find fault in verse 2. And as you look at that and you just go through the chapter, you just see how Jesus takes us through where he wants so bad, so desperately to work in the lives of people, but what is inhibiting that work of God? And, and oftentimes it's unbelief. It's people holding back God saying, Lord, I've got this figured out. I know what you're about. I know how you work. And nothing could be further from the truth. As you look at these religious leaders... They were so off. And in that simplicity of faith, you see the Gentile woman who just has her faith expanded. And then you see this individual that Jesus fixes on, this one person who is deaf, deaf and has an impediment in his speech. And Jesus touches him and heals him. And exactly what God wants to do in our life as we go through these, these accounts of, of what Jesus is doing Guys, we don't want to belong to that group, to that category of the religious phony balonies, to those individuals that are so outside of God's will. I, I, just see, I just see God like disgusted with them. And we have a tendency to move in that direction as, as we, we don't want to surrender our hearts to the things of God. We don't want to be close to God and allow him to speak truth and shine light in the darkness of our lives. And so what we do is we end up pushing God aside in those areas. And before you know it, we become these religious hypocrites. These individuals who, on the outside, it looks like their lives are together. 
but their hearts are far from God. And all God is concerned is that our hearts would be turned towards him, that we would be sensitive and genuine with him, and that we would acknowledge in humility, I don't have all the answers. I don't have this thing called life figured out. I need God desperately. And to those individuals, you see Jesus just almost flooding himself upon them, wanting to work in people's lives, wanting to do incredible things, the, the, the loosing of a tongue that has this speech impediment, the opening of eyes that are blind, the, the opening of the ears of those who are deaf, the expanding of faith to a woman who is outside the fold of, of the religious system. And God is like not a respecter of persons. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. He's looking for individuals whose hearts are turned towards him so that he can show himself strong on their behalf. And I just, it's, to me it seems so simple, but why do we struggle? Why do we fight God? Literally, fight God. God, I've got this. I've got it figured out. I don't need you in this. God's like, you need me so bad. You don't even know how bad you need me. And that we would just remain open, just wide open to God and the things of God at every turn, at every step of the way and just saying, Lord, I don't have it figured out. I do need you. Can you help me? Can you show up in this area? And God never denies an individual who's sincere in heart looking toward him and saying, Lord, guide me, show me. And I think that's what this chapter ultimately taught me as I read this week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you so much for the example, Lord, of how you interact with individuals. And Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be those that are distant, thinking, Lord, that we have things figured out. Lord, we need to acknowledge that we don't have things figured out. We need to be humbled in your presence. We need to acknowledge, Lord, that you can help us in all of our situations, in all of our struggles, in all of the the difficulties that we have as we navigate through life. And so, Father, I pray that we would be those that desire to allow you access into our hearts, into our lives, into our minds, into the thoughts that race in our brains. I pray, Father, that we would be those who simply allow you that preeminent place As faith comes by hearing and that by the word of God, may we sit under your word. May we sit at your feet looking to grow in the grace and knowledge of your word. And just thank you so much, Lord, for these examples that you give us within the pages of scripture. And may we learn by them in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand for this song.